Amen. Come on, can we give our great God a great praise in this place? Come on, man. Come on. Can we set an atmosphere of expectation, of gratitude unto our God? Amen. You may be seated. I'm so delighted to be here as we kick off this men's conference. Um, I love Grace Covenant. This is a second home for me. Uh, Given honor where honor is due uh, to Pastor Brett, apostolic leader, um, a father to many. Uh, he leads with such excellence. Um, just being in his presence challenges you and causes self-examination. Uh, and so every time I'm around him, it's kind of like before you take communion, you're supposed to examine thyself. And so that's how I feel. I'm like, let me see. Did I? Okay. I did read my Bible today. I did get that one. Uh, and so, uh, so can we celebrate Pastor Brett uh, and his leadership? Um, as we are here, uh, I appreciate Pastor Sean and how he shared that story and, uh, and just understanding God as Father. Uh, my hope in, in this first installment is really uh, to, to kind of dig deep uh, to, to encourage you, um, but also to be able to let the word of God address some areas in our lives. And I'm going to try to use as much inclusive language as possible. I'm going to say our lives because what I'm sharing with you, I have not yet uh, obtained in many ways is that I'm still on that journey as well. Uh, and so it's going to be, it's going to be an inclusive moment. Uh, and so I want us to all um, be okay with having a, an, an open heart surgery in the midst of everybody right here. Um, that we're just saying, God, uh, you know, if there's going to be a moment where you're going to deal with me, let that be now. I'm not going to try to hold it together and wait till I get home and then try to review and think about it. But no, I want what you have for me right now. I want what you have for me right now. Deal with me. Uh, and that's, and that's, that's the essence of, of God the Father. God the Father, um, yes, he blesses us, uh, but it says he corrects those whom he loves. Uh, and sometimes the correction is not so much helping you with your wrongdoing, it's helping you with your wrong thinking. Because your wrong thinking leads to wrongdoing. Um, then your wrongdoing will eventually lead to wrong believing. Uh, and, and so this is not a behavior modification moment, but no, this is a transformation moment. Is there anybody here who wants to be transformed on this weekend? You want to be transformed in the presence of God. Um, I recall Matthew chapter 3. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, there's a moment where Jesus is baptized. Um, Jesus is baptized, and when he comes up out of the, out of the water, uh, we see uh, in, the, in the New Testament, God the Father speak up. Uh, when Jesus is baptized and he comes out of the water in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, it says that a voice from heaven came. And this voice from heaven came down, and it said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now, this is, this is interesting because Matthew chapter 1, if you look at Matthew chapter 1, uh, there's a genealogy of, of how Jesus got here. And that genealogy will say, and such and such begat such and such. Such and such begat, or that means so-and-so had uh, this child. This person had this child, or this person is son of this, son of that, son of this. And so the way the, uh, the, way the gospel of Matthew opens up, it opens us up to begin to see God not just as one, as a king on the throne, but it opens it up so we can begin to see him as father. And oftentimes... People can see God in his power, but not in his personal connection with each and every one of us. 
And so Matthew opens up by saying, listen, this 42 generations that we're listing only really shows how we're all going to be connected to the Father. So in Matthew 3, 17, when Jesus is baptized, he comes up out of the water. He hasn't healed not one person yet. He hasn't preached a sermon yet. He has not walked on water and did not get wet yet. He has not fed everybody with a McDonald's value meal, two fish, and five loaves of bread yet. He has not done anything per se that will now require heaven to speak up. But the Father announces before Jesus does a thing, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Some of us need to hear That the heavenly affirmation does not always wait for you to do. The heavenly affirmation is the fact that you are. And it's a part of your identity. And so he set it up that we can never earn his grace. We can never earn his love. Everything we get from God is a gift. And so he opens us up. Matthew 3, 17. Just let everybody know. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. He ain't even had the Garden of Gethsemane moment. He hasn't said, not my will be done. No, God looked at Jesus in the beginning of his earthly ministry and said, I'm well pleased. I believe there's a song that has captured my heart and it says, it says, uh, it says, uh, uh, simple obedience changes history. There's a yes in my heart. And it, and, it, and, it, and it registers with eternity. And so when we get to this moment, I believe that this weekend has been set up to shift you to a place to say yes unto God. And saying yes to God is saying, I'm agreeing with what you have planned. That's, that's, that's good right there. Me saying yes to God is saying, God, I believe you got a plan better than mine. Me saying yes to God, I believe if I live the way that you created me to live, I'm going to be better off. Me saying yes to God is not me trying to get God to agree with me. Me saying yes to God is saying, God, I realize I better agree with you because nobody else can do what you can do. I love how the New Testament truths are then played out in Old Testament examples. And so for my Old Testament example of this New Testament truth of seeing how God the Father enters in and causes a shift in your life, I'm going to look at Gideon in Judges chapter 6. The uh, book of Judges is full of shifts. I'm going to try to make sure I say my F and my T. It's full of shifts all throughout the Bible. Uh, it's full of shifts all throughout Judges. Okay, I'm trying, to, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to make sure I get all letters out. I ain't, cussed, I ain't cussed in a long time. So I don't want y'all to be like, you know, Pastor Chris up there. I'm not a cussing preacher. Okay. Um, and so what we find, though, in Judges, you have, um, you have leaders who rise up and then leaders who fall. Leaders who rise up and then leaders who fall. But what's interesting is in the book of Judges, it seems like God finds ordinary people to do extraordinary things every time. He finds ordinary people to do extraordinary things every time. And specifically, we get to the fifth judge, which is Gideon in Judges chapter 6. And that's going to be my focal um, for this evening, Judges chapter 6, verse 11. It says in, in verse 11 in the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible says, The angel of the Lord came and he sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. 
Verse 13, Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And here and where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. Verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. He said to him, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the youngest in my father's family. Verse 16, but I will be with you, the Lord said. I need somebody to already just need that fatherly presence. He says, but I will be with you. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to preach that in a second, but that's, that, that just blesses my soul. Every time when the father says, I will be with you. He says, I will be with you and you will strike Midian down as if it were one man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this space and this place. God, we thank you for this time. And Lord, I pray, Lord, as we are here, as, as we have just read Judges chapter 6, Lord, that, that you would do a work that only you can do. Your word is living. It is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It discerns between flesh and spirit. It gets between bone and marrow. And so, Lord, I pray as your word goes forth, may it dissect our psychology, may it dissect our sociology, may it dissect our biology, Lord, that we can have a greater theology so then we can live out how you called us to live. Father, we now humble ourselves before you, and we don't say, Father, lightly. We say, Father, because you've given us access to the throne of grace to come boldly unto you uh, in this time of need. So, God, we require, we ask, and we request your mercy to be upon us that you may shift us to a new dimension of manhood, of fatherhood, of being husbands, of being citizens in this, in, in this country. Um, Lord, that we will be who you called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody shout amen. 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 So Gideon has this encounter. And when we talk about the word shift, I could not help but think how momentum happens in, in, in many sports games, especially I, I, I camp out in college football and college basketball for a moment because I see how the game can shift with just one play. Um, they say you always have um, three types of people in a room. You have some people who are offensive minded. They're all about driving and going forward. Uh, then you have some people who are defensive minded. They're all about, hold on, let me keep things from moving too fast. But then got people that, that I call these people the gift of faith people. They, they the special teams people. These are the ones that when they're looking and the punt goes up, they're saying we're going to take this to the crib. This is going to change the game right now. I'm trying to block every field goal. I'm trying to return every kickoff. Touchback for what? I ain't fair catching for nobody. Like These are the ones that are saying this is the play. Um, this is the cornerback that gets on your nerves because he's always biting on the pump fake, but he's like, if I get that pick, I'm going to the house. Like these, like You got some people that's just like like, let's go. I'm ready to go right now. And, 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 and what I find is in these games, when those type of players make a play, it's like everybody else wake up. 
at that moment. And I see it all the time in college basketball because it's only two halves, not four quarters like the NBA. And, you know, the Golden State Warriors really only play one quarter. That's the third quarter. They could be down by 35 and come in the third quarter and they score 50 points and then win the game. But, but it, 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 I see it happens because it's like you can go on a 10-point run and completely just drive the wind out of the entire atmosphere if you're in somebody else's house. And it's like the momentum shift and nobody else can actually recover. It's like the basketball uh, hoop gets smaller for the other team. It's like people get turnovers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, it's like it, then, then, then the other person, they're just in the zone. They're just, they just throwing up heat checks. they just they throwing three-pointers behind their back, and it's just going in. You know, they didn't turn into the Harlem Globetrotters. It's like, how did, it, how did you do this? And when that shift happens, this momentum begins to happen, and mostly, and even with sports psychologists were saying, in that moment when they call it the zone, that's when a person is at their peak performance. That's when their eyesight and all their faculties are actually working together. Because oftentimes, our mind, our mind cannot fully communicate everything throughout our body because we have glitches that, 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 that disable us that then cause us to be handicapped. And so you have people who can make every shot in practice, but then shoot 35% in the game. How did that happen? Because oftentimes when the lights hit and when pressure hits, our bodies begin to respond and we need a special set of retooling that we're not conformed, but we are transformed in these moments where we can be all of how God created us to be. And I realized in order for us as men to be the men of God, to be the husbands, to be the fathers that God called us to be, that that encounter with God allows us to get into a zone and go further faster than we ever expected. One encounter with God can cause an entire shift in your life. This weekend has been set up to shift you from being on the bench to being in the game, but then also being in the zone. This weekend has been set up to pull you out of obscurity and then give you, help you understand who God called you to be so you can walk with godly confidence and not a fake ego that a salary makes you have, not a fake ego that a house can make you have, not a fake ego that your shoes can make you have but no this is a shift that you're now your confidence and your zone comes from above and so this guy Gideon 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 he's the youngest of his family he's the baby boy he's when we find him you know uh, it's interesting because when we find him doesn't he doesn't look much like a hero Uh, see Israel is in a bad place at this moment and throughout the book of Judges, that every time they would mess up, God, God would allow a new bully to come in town and take their lunch money. And they would, and, and they would continue to mess up. They would worship idols, and then they would mess up again. And then God would send, uh, God would send some other people to raid their land. So every time that they were, every time the Israelites would, 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 would get to harvest time, then the Midianites would come in, which was another country folk. They would come in, and they would steal their cookies. They would take their wheat. They would take their livestock. Every time there was a new litter, every time there was new livestock, they would just come and take it. They were like, I don't know how many of y'all seen Friday. I might be dating myself or either confessing, but the movie Friday, they, like the Midianites were like Debo, and, they, and, and, they, and that's what they came, you know, what you got on my 40, homie, uh, and so every time something happened, the Midianites would come in and begin to take stuff from them. Uh, have you ever found that sometimes that there are some things in your life that you wish that you could have held on to, but something bigger, stronger, and more intimidating came and took it from you? 
I know none of us came here this weekend ready to admit that we found ourselves in helpless situations hanging in there because I believe all of us will find ourselves there at some point. So the Mennonites will come in and come out. So we find Gideon, uh, this, 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 this young fellow, and he's in a wine press, which is basically a hole dug in the ground where they would press grapes and they would begin to make the wine. It was a hole dug in the ground and he was threshing wheat. The problem is him being in a wine press threshing wheat does not match because threshing wheat, normally you have to be out in the open. So when you're beating the wheat, that the wind would be able to catch the, would catch the part that you don't want and then you'll be able to keep the part that you do want. So beating it, so, so threshing wheat, wheat in the wine press he was working extra hard but why was he there he was afraid that if the Midianites came that they would be able to take what he's been working on and so we find Gideon in an intimidated place I, I want to go ahead and give this to you I'm gonna give you three eyes tonight hopefully I'll be able to get through all three of them within the time within the time allotted that, that when when God is causing a shift in your life first he wants to deal he wants to deal with your intimidations he wants to deal what causes intimidation what causes fear in your life and we find in this moment um, that intimidation is the first thing that God deals with the second thing that God deals with is your end Most of us are walking around angry and bitter and resentful, but God wants to shift something in you and to deal with that too. And the third thing that God deals with is your insecurity. And I know some of y'all are wondering how is intimidation and insecurity different? Intimidation deals with the external factors that, 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 that disable you. Insecurities deal with the internal factors that disable you and you need both of them to be dealt with. And so we find Gideon in this wine press, and he's threshing wheat, and we find that he's there because he's intimidated. Now, the people of Israel, they cried out in, in the beginning of Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 6, 1 through 10, the, the children of Israel cried out. They said, God, we, we need your help. God, we need your help. And, and what's interesting is we see this throughout the Bible that people cry out to God, and then God talks to a person. See, it happened like that with Moses. The people of Israel, they were in Egypt, and then they cried out, God, we can't take this anymore. Free us from slavery. God heard their cry and spoke to Moses. Again and again and again, what I find is that God did not create you to contribute to the problem. He created you to be a part of the solution. I want to go ahead and affirm somebody now that God has created you to be a solution to a problem that already exists in the earth. One person said the most, the two most important days of your life is one, the day you were born and two, the day you find out why. You were created to solve a problem. You were created, you weren't created by happenstance. No, God knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. You were divinely designed, strategically shaped, and magnificently molded to solve an issue. Manhood was never meant to exist without mission. Yeah, let's go to Genesis. In Genesis, understand when God created Adam, he formed him out of the dirt. He formed him out of the dirt, then breathed in him the breath of life, and immediately he gave him a mission. Now be fruitful and multiply, rule and subdue, because this is what I found out. Manhood, not attached to a godly mission, leaves you looking to be fulfilled by, by, by temporary desires. Manhood, not attached to godly mission, leaves you to be fulfilled by temporary desires. You were meant to be fulfilled by purpose, not by pleasure. 
See, you got to get this because if 80% of the people in church, 80% of the men in church, if they're dealing with pornography, it's telling us something that we're still seeking pleasure to breathe inside of our structure when purpose is what God wanted to breathe in. And so we find that the moment that Adam is created, that he has a mission. And every time somebody's introduced in the Bible, they're, all, they're, 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 they're many times introduced with their mission. See, we got to be men on mission. Because when we're not men on mission, we're men making a mess. Come on, somebody. Come on. I came, I came to have some fun tonight. I don't know about y'all. When you're not on mission, you're making a mess. You don't believe me? Let me go ahead and talk about David real quick because I can get a chance to preach about him later. David, the one time that he did not go out to battle. Yes, the same David that, that killed Goliath with the stone. The same David that cut his head off, cut Goliath's head off. Yes, that same David. He got a little old. He almost lost the battle. And then they said, David, you can't go out to battle. It was while David was not on mission that he was walking on top of, on top of his kingdom. While he was walking on top of his kingdom, he saw a woman named Bathsheba taking a bath. I don't know why they did it like that. But when he saw her, she was naked. Of course, a naked woman just looked good to a man. Like, wow, she's the best thing ever. In this moment, David, not on mission, begins to make a mess. I'm trying to help us. Because when you are driven by mission, you don't have time to mess around. (laughs) Yeah. Because when you are fulfilled by purpose, you now begin to say, God, what do you want to do in me? And oftentimes the reason why you are not walking on mission is because you haven't met your Messiah. You haven't met your maker. And once you have an encounter with your maker, he's going to now begin to transform you and he's going to course correct you. So now you won't be a man about pleasure. You'll be a man about purpose. And what I find is purpose does breed pleasure. That when you're walking in purpose, you'll get the pleasure of the Lord. You'll have joy unspeakable, peace uh, that surpasses all understanding. When you are walking in purpose, you'll get the pleasures of God because in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We got to be men on a mission. So God encounters Gideon and he looks at Gideon and he begins to talk to him. God encounters Gideon and it says that the angel of the Lord came and sat under this oak, uh, under this oak tree. And when it talks about the angel of the Lord, that's how God manifested himself to Gideon. And when the angel of the Lord manifested himself to Gideon in the form of a man, Gideon wasn't sure exactly who he was talking to. But understand how God initiated the conversation. God initiated a conversation by dealing with where, by by finding Gideon right where he was. It would be one thing if God saw Gideon and then God found Gideon when Gideon got out the wine press and Gideon was having a good day. Don't y'all hope that God comes by and visits you on a good day? Y'all know what your good day is. It's the day that you got your Bible star on your Bible lap. It's the day that you actually read your Bible. It's the Sunday that you went to more than one service. It's the Sunday that you actually served. Y'all know your good day. Your good day is when you took out the trash when your wife told you to come on y'all y'all know the good day the good day is when you actually play with your kids versus looking at them like you just eating up all my food soaking up all my air conditioning just get off my face you know your good day is when you were just happy you were jolly went on an ice cream day daddy daughter day your good day is when you had your best presenting self god often visits us on our worst day visits us in our worst place And it says, I love how it shows us the beauty of the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us, and how God came in and got near the wine press with Gideon. See, you got to understand the wine press was Gideon's second place. The wine press was the place where Gideon had turned to for comfort. The wine press represents an addiction. The wine press represents a cheap comfort. The wine press represents a place where you go when you're afraid and you're trying to take control back. 
it says the angel of the Lord came and, 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 and saw Gideon right there threshing wheat in the wine press. And oftentimes we get a vision of God like this. No, God doesn't show up like an avenger. God shows up like a friend. I, because oftentimes we're afraid of the one that came to affirm us. So God gets near the wine press. He gets near the place where you are supposed to be. He shows up in that place. And when God shows up, the first thing that he says to Gideon, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. He says, the Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Oh, the man of valor, you mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. That's the part that takes me back to Matthew 3.17. Gideon, he has not done a thing yet. Gideon has not picked up a sword. Gideon has not recruited an army. Gideon is, he's showing how afraid he is by being in the wild press. But the first announcement that he hears from heaven is you mighty man of valor. Some of y'all ain't hearing it yet. You got to recognize that God is trying to affirm you not from where you've been, but from where you're going. And so God put a new valor clothes on him. He says, let me talk to you about where I'm taking you. God doesn't speak to you as much about your past. He speaks to you about your future. And so, so, so he says, you mighty man of valor. Maybe you understand if it's like this. If God was to come and sit down with you, he looks at you right in your bondage. He said, you mighty man of freedom. He comes look at you right in your whoredom. He says, you mighty man of integrity. He comes look at you right in your brokenness. So you mighty man of great success and kingdom philanthropist. And when you begin to understand that God speaks to you based on where you're going, you begin to yearn for that voice. And some of us are trying to earn that voice. No, you yearn for it. You can't earn it. And God is trying to move us from earning to yearning. So God does not look at Gideon based on his past. God does not look at Gideon based on his pain. God looks at Gideon based on his purpose. The angel of the Lord said, you mighty man of valor. Verse 13, Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened? See, the thing is in this encounter, um, God, God encounters Gideon and he tells him, listen, you're going to be somebody. You're going to be all right. Then Gideon immediately begins to have an argument with the angel of the Lord because Gideon is now struck with bitterness this is what this is what I call self-sabotage when you are faced with opportunity but you are bound by opposition yeah when you are faced with opportunity but you only can focus on the opposition getting in then responds and you hear his bitterness because the next thing in order for God to shift you to where he wants to take you he has to deal with your indignation um, one, one person said it like this the secrets that men carry which is a book it says men's lives uh, every man carries a deep longing for his father or for his tribal fathers men's lives are essentially governed by fear men's lives are violent because their souls have been violated many of us are sitting in here as abused men you have been violated by a culture that has given you a cheap definition of manhood You've been violated by an over-sexualized culture that causes you to think with the wrong extremities in the wrong times. You're, you, you, can't, you can't even walk by another man that you don't know without comparing yourself. We have been violated. Many of us are dealing with the fatherhood womb where we were abandoned at some point and we're still wondering, do we have what it takes? Every man is asking that question, do I have what it takes? And right after that question, they often are asking, why do I got to ask that question? 
Gideon immediately responds. If the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened? If God is good, why do my people look the way they look? If God is good, why is my family falling apart? If God is good, why is my money always looking funny? If God is good, why is this happening? God is trying to give Gideon a revelation, but Gideon is struck by resentment. And he says, if God is with us, why have all of this happened? And where are all of his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and, and, and handed us over to Midian? You got to hear Gideon's, you gotta hear Gideon's anger because he heard about the stories of what happened before. He heard about the stories of like, man, God brought us out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He swallowed up Pharaoh's army. He sent us manna from heaven. He brought water from a rock. Our God is good. And they've been telling the story in the beginning. And it's like, I heard the story, but I don't see any evidence. If God really with me, how come I don't feel that? If God is, so Gideon is struck with bitterness. He's struck with indignation. He's mad. He's angry. And he's also fearful. Anger and fear is a lethal combination for your manhood. Anger and fear is a lethal combination. Because it would keep you in a place and can't even see your way out. And immediately getting and asking this question, he's looking at we have unanswered prayers. We have unexpected trials. We have unwanted struggles. And getting in like many of us are mad at God. And I know you here at this Christian men's conference, you wouldn't dare say I came in here mad at God. But if somebody was to sit down long enough with you at a Starbucks or either while you're watching this game for, you'd probably end up going to start saying, you know what? There's some things that I wanted God to do that he just didn't do. Where is he? I see him moving in such a such life. I see him blessing this person. How come their marriage got back together? I did everything. I did the love there. I did fireproof. I tried to get my wife back, but she didn't want me. Why? Where is God? Some of us are sitting here angry because your child, your child got sick and you wonder how come somebody else's child got, got healed and you're angry and you can't even move forward because you're stuck. Resentment, how, the, how psychologists define it in an illustrative way. They say resentment is frozen pain. Resentment is, and many of us are stuck, frozen in pain. Do you know what frozen pain causes you to do? If your trauma happened at age five, your emotional state will continue to go back there every time trauma happens again. You wonder why men get get older and they want to get and they want to get the cars with the big wheels with the loud colors. Oftentimes, because they had the little matchbox cars and they're still living their boyhood dreams. No, they're not car enthusiasts. They're looking for a way to prove themselves. John Eldridge said it like this. What we have now is a world of uninitiated men, partial men, boys mostly walking around in men's bodies with men's jobs and families, finances, and responsibilities. We have uninitiated men. Partial men, boys most, mostly walking around in men's bodies with men's jobs, with men's families, with men's fi finances and responsibilities. And we're ultimately in this inside of us. There's a bitterness on the inside of us. But I want to take an example from Job. And also God deals with our, indign with our indignation as well. Because God didn't even address it like how you would expect it. God didn't say, well, because the reason why I did this. No, what God wanted Gideon to be able to do is recognize why he did that. Because they invited sin in their life. Oh, see, I know y'all was looking for the Jesus love me part. I ain't got there yet. <laughs> Never underestimate the power of disobedience. 
Never underestimate the power of sin. Gideon has not been recorded as a sinner. No, he's receiving the punishment from generations before. And the reason why I'm passionate and I would cry out for this is if you don't do it for any other reason, live right for your child. Live right for the next generation so they won't grow up being indignant, so they won't grow up being mad at God because their earthly father didn't show up, but God brought you here. To break it off of you so it don't have to go to them. And all of this, Job 121 saying that all of this after Job experienced everything and all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. And so often we've gotten caught up blaming God rather than blessing God. And so now we have instruction after instruction. When tribulation hit, what are you supposed to do? Rejoice. Because he's saying when you learn how to rejoice, the thing that meant to take, the, the thing that was sent to take you out, no, will build you up. Now problems are not happening to you, they're happening for you. That when you are now a man on mission, you begin to look at obstacles as opportunities. You begin to see stepping stones as, you begin to see stumbling blocks as stepping stones. When you're a man on mission, you don't move through indignation, you move through in- excitement of what God may do. And that's what God is trying to bring Gideon into. One more point as I get ready to leave. Uh, the last thing that God deals with in verses 14 through 15 is that God deals with the biggest enemy that we ever have to face. Here it is. Let's read it. He says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. Verse 15, he said to him, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the youngest in my father's family. But I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. Immediately, God says, go in this might of yours and deliver Israel. And then immediately Gideon came back to God and saying, how can I do that? How? How? Too many times we're focusing on the how and God takes care of the how. You focusing on the how, God how. God knew that you couldn't do it. We're supposed to live lives that are so, that's so big that when the story is told, we got to say God did it anyway. If you can accomplish it without God, you're not on the godly mission yet. I always tell people, dream so big that if God does not intervene, you'll fall flat on your face. And so often we play a conservative because we are insecure. Yes, the biggest enemy that you have to deal with is not the enemy outside of you. It's the enemy on the inside of you. It's the inner me. And I want to help you understand God always promises that he'll take care of your enemies on the outside of you. But he says, now I need you to go ahead and give the enemy on the inside of you back to me insecurity the internal the internal weakness the internal fracture in our heart the internal fracture in our soul and Gideon is confused because the Lord has said a few things that don't line up with Gideon's perspective understand everything about Gideon Gideon said I'm the youngest of the tribe and my tribe is the smallest but everything that God said God said you mighty man of valor he says go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel I love when God begins to tell us things that we can't see about ourselves And then God begins to tell Gideon about who he's called to be. But don't you find this as a similar thing? That oftentimes God calls men to great things and immediately we push back with insecurity. God calls Moses, Moses go and deliver the people. I, 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 I I can't talk right. God calls Jeremiah, I'm too young. And immediately we can begin to see this. God calls Isaiah and Isaiah says, I'm amongst the people of unclean lips. And oftentimes when we get a revelation from God, we want to throw our insecurities and tell him why we're not worthy. When news flash, he knew you weren't worthy in the first place. He knew you didn't have it together. He knew that you were so decrepit and so messed up that when you finally got it together, people 
going to say, God did it. <laughs> Unless the Lord shows up. It's not by power. It's not by might. But it's by his spirit. God is calling you to live a manhood, to live a husband life, to live a fatherhood that says God did it. He's calling you to go in this might of yours. And this is the interesting thing, family. I was reading this and this, this thing got me today. He said, he said, go in this might of yours. Catch, catch that. Go in this might of yours. Looking at Gideon and his present state. Go in the might that you currently have and you will deliver Israel. But the might that Gideon has ain't hitting on five cents. The might that Gideon has is very little. So go in this might of yours. God is immediately promising this, that I'm going to join my super with your natural. Come on, somebody. I'm going to give you grace that's going to be sufficient. I'm going to give you strength that's going to be perfect in your weakness. And so go in this might of yours because where your weakness is, it invites my perfection. And he says, go in this might of yours. What is this might? Philippians 4.13 says it like this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you got to understand something about that family when it says I can do all things through Christ he's saying Christ you got to understand the Greek word which is Christos which comes from the word Creo which is the word anointed and so when Paul says I can do all things through Christ he's saying I can do all things through the anointing that's been smeared over me and so when God says go in this might of yours he's saying go and I'm going to smear you with my divine power go and I'm going to smear you with my strength Go, I'm going to smear you with my presence. Go, I'm going to smear you with my identity. And when you go in that might of yours, Midian, who looks like a great army, what can you say to these things? If God is for me, then who can be against me? I am more than a conqueror. That is not happening to me. No, it's happening for me. Can somebody give God a great praise in this place? He's calling you to be a conqueror. He's calling you to be a mighty man of valor. <laughs> family we rejoice that God finds us in our weak place we rejoice that God finds us right in our wine press and I believe the Lord set this night up to go ahead and encourage some of us that he came to find you in your hiding place. He found Adam in his hiding place in the garden. He found Moses when he was in Midian that he was hiding. He found Gideon when he was hiding in the wine press. He found Jonah when he was hiding in the bottom of the ship. And he's finding you right here at Grace Chantilly on this weekend right in your hiding place. He's saying, let me be with you. Let me walk with you. Let me hold you. Let me be your shepherd. Let me lead you. Let me love on you let me remove every intimidation let me remove all your indignation let me remove all of your insecurities a men's conference is set up to feel almost like a war chant because you got to recognize you are a soldier in the army of the Lord don't get entangled in civilian affairs don't get entangled in civilian ways of thinking. The voice of the Father is saying, you got just enough of what I need to do something great. I speak that over every man in this house. 
go in this might of yours. It doesn't look like that much, but go in that might. It might not look like your neighbor's might, but go in your might. You might not feel like you got the degree. You might not have the salary, but no, go in your might. I know things don't look right at home, but go in that might. What is this might? It's the same might that caused Jesus to say in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will be done, but your will be done. What is this might? It's the same might that Jesus was able to talk through his beat, battered, and bruised face and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's the same might that early one Sunday morning, after they put our Savior in the grave, he rose with all power in his hands. And the prophecy from Matthew 3.17 shows up in Philippians 2. Now he's been given a name that's above every name and at the mention of that name every knee shall bow every tongue shall confess every sin shall bow every addiction shall bow every bit of bondage shall bow in the name of Jesus can we rise to our feet in here come on let's give our God a praise in here